a different year because we typically have a, a Christmas Eve service that we're looking forward to. Uh, and uh, for many reasons uh, that I don't need to get into, uh, we just thought it was a good idea this year to just go virtual with our Christmas Eve. So again, want to encourage you to dial in on that. Don't need to uh, say much more. Brandon did a good job uh, announcing that and promoting that. So, uh, But it is still Christmas season, and there's still much to celebrate in regards to Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so while I, while I won't see you between now and uh, uh, Christmas, I want to wish you on behalf of our family a Merry Christmas and know that we love you and we're praying for you and we're walking with you through all that we're dealing with in 2020 into 21. But nonetheless, we're grateful to celebrate Christ who's been born. So we're in Matthew chapter 10. And if you haven't noticed yet, uh, the, the emphasis of the chapter is about the mission. It was really set up in chapter 9. Jeremy preached this a couple weeks ago where he uh, brought us to that passage where Jesus uh, uh, looks to his disciples and says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers. Do you remember that? It was kind of uh, Jesus envisioning his disciples to see this vast and abundant harvest that is out there in the world. A harvest of souls. And so he's telling them, look, there's fruit. There's fruit in the world, meaning the souls of men, women, and children. And last week we saw that as we're praying to the Lord of the harvest for him to send out laborers, that it is the very disciples of Jesus that are those laborers that he's sending. Do you remember that? Right? He calls the disciples to himself. He empowers the disciples. And then what does he do? He sends them. He sends the disciples into the world to bear witness to the reality of the kingdom and what they say and what they do. That's the mission. We found out that we are the sent ones as the church into the world. We're the laborers. To bring about the harvest and the fruit. So we know for sure we are on a mission for Jesus. Great purpose and identity as believers. Amen? We're on a mission. And so now we turn and the simple question is this. What do we expect the mission to be like? What expectations should we have as we journey on mission for Jesus. Well, if we get the mission from Jesus, we get the calling, the empowerment, and the sending from Jesus, where should we get our expectations from? Logically. From Jesus. So instead of coming up with our own set of expectations, which by the way, I am an expert at coming up with my own expectations that aren't necessarily consistent with the expectations of God on me or others. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Doreen specifically knows what I'm talking about. We are good at coming up with our own set of expectations, and yet today we come to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we seek the answer to that question from Him. Lord, what are we to expect as we are sent on this mission? Christ shapes our expectations for the mission he has given us. Let that sink in. Christ shapes 
our expectations for the mission He has given us. That's what we're going to see today. He is providing for us expectations regarding the mission. He's also calling us to a particular response. Because you can expect this, here's what I'm calling you to do in response to that. Okay? So he's shaping the expectation. He's also providing a response. This is my call. And that call on you in reference to your response might be absolutely uh, in contrast with the normal human response to that expectation. And then we appreciate how Jesus provides a basis for us, why he would call us to such a response. Do you see the flow of that? There's an expectation. There's a response that Jesus calls us to based on that expectation. And then Jesus provides the basis for such an unnatural response. You follow that with me? Trying to be as clear and succinct as I can be in a long passage, but appreciate you following along with me. Turn with me to Matthew 10, 16 through 31. Matthew 10, 16 through 31. What do you expect the mission to be like? Follow along with me. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. They will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you who are more valued than many sparrows. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen? Amen. If I could ask someone to bring me a water, that would be helpful. 
Uh, I feel like Big Walt today. He's got like the sweet tart ring and everything. He's got the dry mouth thing going. Thank you. <clears throat> I've been drinking tea like a madman all morning. Supposedly tea's a diuretic. So maybe that's it, right? Is that what it is? Help me out. Thank you, Doreen. Appreciate that. Four expectations. Four expectations. One, Jesus is clear that on mission, we can expect to face the constant threat of danger. You say, where do you get that? He says it right in the beginning. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Sheep in the midst of wolves. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You hear a statement like that, and you're already, early on in the message, in the text, put back on your heels. You get last week, there's a sense of optimism, two weeks really, of like, man, harvest is plentiful, and then he's sending us, wow, we have purpose, identity, let's go, baby. And then you read something like this, sheep in the midst of wolves, and as missionaries, disciples, were like, wait a minute here. What's going on? It's kind of a, a wake-up call for us to what the mission of Jesus in the world is like. That we have been sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. The world is hostily and actively coming at us. That's what he's saying. We can expect the constant threat of danger. That we should approach the mission with an expectation that there is a real enemy who seeks us to devour us. There are many in the world that would have no desire to have any encounter with our message or really our very person. And so we, being sent out as sheep in the midst of this world, recognize that we will be under the constant threat of danger. You hear something like that, and the natural human response is to not really go anymore. No thanks. Not interested. I mean, we basically are living our lives, and I'm not saying inappropriately, to keep each other away from particular dangers these days. Danger, in any way, shape, or form, is something we avoid at all costs. We, and not that we should run into it per se, but you understand that we are danger-averse. And so we hear something like this, and immediately we're put back on our heels, we're beginning to hesitate. The excitement and the joy and the optimism and the opportunities galore that are out there come head-on and face-to-face with the reality that we have been sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves, that the world uh, is a dangerous place in reference to the mission. So our natural response would be to avoid, to stay away, to not go, to hesitate. And Jesus says, I understand the danger that you're in as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, this is the response that I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to wisdom and innocence. 
as you approach this dangerous mission. I want you to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He's basically bringing in two more animals to illustrate how our response is to be as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents. Why serpents? I thought always the serpents in the scriptures were, were bad. Right? Well, here Jesus is using the, the illustration of a serpent to illustrate how crafty the serpent is, especially in avoiding danger. The serpent is wise. He does not engage in situations with unnecessary naivety. He's careful. He's wise. As he proceeds, he's avoiding unnecessary danger and vulnerability. So he's saying, be wise as a serpent. But then he's also saying, at the very same time, as you engage with wisdom, don't lose your innocence. Don't lose your innocence. We must remain pure in our motives and our actions, he says. As the sheep of the great shepherd, the Lord is calling us to approach the mission with the wisdom and the innocence of Christ himself. Like snakes, right? Like doves. I think Doriani does a good job at summarizing what Jesus is saying. He says this, like snakes, we must use our heads and avoid unnecessary danger. Thank you, man. See, two people love me. I know you all love me. This was open, Becker. Double love. Double love. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Like snakes, we must use our heads and avoid unnecessary danger. We do not overestimate the kindness of wolves. Like doves, we're not so cautious and elusive that we escape risk by staying by saying nothing and doing nothing. We remain active Hence, vulnerable. That's a tricky balance to maintain in the world, right? Tricky balance. But Jesus is calling us to that. And we remember that it is Christ himself that provides such wisdom and innocence. And so we do not go uncared for and unprovided for. But as we engage the mission, we are to expect the threat of constant danger. And we are to approach it with wisdom and innocence. But not only that, as he continues to shape our expectations for the mission, Jesus says this, that on mission, expect the world to reject and hate you. Merry Christmas. We're not really sugarcoating much this morning, nor should we. He says, on mission for me, expect the world to hate you, expect the world to reject you. He goes on to say, beware of men, anyone in general, for they'll deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Even brother will rise up against brother, family, those closest to you that that you think are so uh, near to you and important and meaningful. Even your brother, even your sister, even your parent, even your child on account of the mission, will rise up against you and they will drag you and deliver you over to the courts. You will be hated by all for my namesake. 
Jesus is basically saying you can expect to be detained, condemned, criminalized. You can expect to be punished, rejected by those who are very close to you, and shamed publicly, all because of what you're doing on my mission. The natural reaction to something like that is what? Obviously, maybe hesitation, but anything else? Anxiety, fear, disinterest, avoidance, you name it. He's basically saying they're going to drag you before the courts and you're going to have to give a defense for your life and your words. You're going to have to give a defense. And no one's going to be in your corner in this earthly life. You're going to have to give a defense. And such a defense... Because you understand a lack of a good defense leads to you being guilty, and guilty is punishable in some way, shape, or form. Prison, death. Right? That's what he's saying. The children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by all. That brings about an anxiety as we think about faithful witness in the world. He says when they deliver you over, not if when they, if they deliver you over, but when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about what you're going to say or what you're going to speak. Really? I remember 12th grade, severely scared of public speaking, like, you know, we have a small school, too. There's like 20 people in our class. Faith Heritage. I had to give a five-minute presentation on the life of D.L. Moody. And, you know, I'm a procrastinator, especially when I'm not in the mood or scared of something. Like, eh, eh. Scared to death in public speaking, and especially in front of my buddies, right? So I was like, okay, hey, bro, Maisie, you're up next. Five minutes, D.L. Moody. I just looked at the teacher. Mrs. Lape will love this. And I said, no thanks. <laughs> Maisie, this is the last day. I'm like, I'm good. Took a zero. Why? I just was scared to death. Anxiety came over me about public speaking. And so you can imagine what it's like to stand before governors, rulers. I mean, peers can be probably a little bit more uh, uh, fear-inducing at times, and maybe even a governor or a president or a court. But you can imagine what they would, what they would feel, especially all that they were uh, going to witness at some point in the life of Christ, the anxiety that would come over them. But he says, listen, don't be anxious about what you're going to say. You have no reason to have fear about the words that you're going to speak. He says, here's why. For what you are to say will be given you in that very hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Do you hear what Jesus says there? You have no reason to fear because of the provision that you have as my sheep, as the uh, child of the Father. I will give you the words to say. I will empower your defense. Remember, on this mission, we're called and we're empowered by the Spirit for the mission that we're called to. And being empowered means not just this inner power, yes, but it's a power that will what? 
work its way out and manifest itself in the proclamation and defense of the gospel. That yes, we have opposition, but we have such provision from God for the very words that we will say. We do not need to be anxious about the words that we're going to say. We just need to simply go where Jesus calls us to go and speak whatever the Spirit of God presses on our heart in that hour. What an amazing thing to think about. And I wonder if some of us have ever experienced that before as we've borne witness to Christ in whatever relationship we have, whatever degree of hostility we're receiving or questioning or criticism or argumentation, whatever that is and whatever relationship that it is, I wonder if you've been shocked by the Lord's provision before of words that you demon know are up in the noggin. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in that moment where someone gives you like a really tough question and you start to stumble over your words a little bit, but you press into obedience and then all of a sudden you begin to say things you didn't even know you knew? That may sound a little weird, but I'm like, wow, sometimes I say things and I'm like, that was definitely not me. You ever been there? Yeah, that's that's the Spirit. That's the Spirit of God empowering you and enabling you. He's saying you have no need to be anxious as you give a defense for the gospel because I'm going to give you the words to speak. And all of this has incredible purpose. All of this, and that basis of what Christ is commanding is there inherently in this. He says, as you're doing this, as I'm giving you the words to say, and you're defending the gospel even to the authorities of the land, to those who have the power to make your life and existence miserable, to take it away, even in the face of betrayal, as I give you the words, guess what? You are in that moment bearing witness before them and the Gentiles. Don't miss the divine purpose in the midst of that hostility. I find that to be an interesting thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying, here's what's going to happen. They're going to drag you before the governors. They're going to do all this thing. You know what? They're going to they're threaten you with death. Even your brothers and your sisters and your, your kids and your, and, and your parents, they're all, guess what? And that's all going to happen so that, to, so that you can bear witness before them and the Gentiles. That this is, in fact, how God is doing uh, or bringing about the message of the gospel in the world. It is through this kind of opposition, it is in the face of this kind of hostility, that God brings about His purposes. That's just how He's chosen to do it. He's sovereignly in that. He's engaged in that. He's not abandoned you in such opposition and persecution. No, He's in that. He's using that very thing to bring about the bearing witness that He wants. And that, of course, to bring about the very fruit that he's spoken of. This shows God's sovereignty over all these experiences. I think that provides a lot of purpose for us as we endure this. And isn't that what he says? What promise? The one who endures to the end will be saved. What an amazing thing to hear. Verse 22. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is saying, yes, I understand. This is going to be hard. This that you will endure will be exhausting. This will be 
great temptation for you to quit, for you to give up. But he's saying those who endure to the end will be saved. What assurance we have from our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of the harvest. That this mission is difficult. You will face accusations. You will endure hate. You will endure imprisonment. You will endure rejection. You will endure shame. You may even endure death. But the one who endures to the end will be what? Saved. It's a promise from Christ that you will be saved. What an amazing thing to lean into together today. Expect the constant threat of danger. Expect to be hated and rejected by the world. And now expect persecution. Adding another layer. When they persecute you in one town. Again, there it is. Not if they persecute you. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. There's an assumption that following Jesus in the world faithfully will inevitably, in varying degree, bring to us the experience of some level of persecution. And persecution is literally just pressure. Pressure inflicted on you to quit it. Stop. Shut up. We're not interested. It's to silence you, to shut you down. It is pressure. It's like the thumb pressing on you of evil. That's what persecution is. It's a reaction to our mission. It's a reaction to our message. And they're pushing back. They're applying pressure to get us to quit. You, as a missionary of Jesus, will encounter varying degrees of pressure to stop. And we see that in 2020 more and more, even in America. We're seeing more and more pressure to not believe, trust, follow, or proclaim a message of Jesus Christ. So some of these things may feel so far detached from our experience in 2020 in America. But if you know anything, if you're watching what's going on in the world at all, and this is not political statement whatsoever, if you're watching anything, you're going to see the secularization that is now going to be pressing in on the ministry and mission of the church, of Jesus. So we expect that. Jesus says, flee to the next. you got a lot to do. There's a lot of villages. There's a lot of souls. There's a lot of people. There are men, women, and children all over Israel, he's saying. Many villages, many towns to go to. So if you're getting repeated, constant pushback from a particular place, and the receptivity is nil, move on to the next place. D.A. Carson says, the need always outpaces the persecution. Jesus goes on to say something that's not really understood by many people, uh, to be quite frankly. There's a lot of answers to this question. Carson has like eight pages. Usually you rely on the commentators to help you with confusion. I think I was scratching my head with more confusion this round. Bottom line is this. We can expect persecution, and when it is received, 
We keep moving. We keep moving. And lastly, and I think this summarizes everything. Is on mission, we can expect to be treated just as Jesus was. And to be honest, I think that's the summarizing statement. Of all the expectations that we have on Jesus' mission. If we're on Jesus' mission, an extension of His work and His word in the world, guess what? We can expect to be treated the same way that Jesus was treated. That's what He tells us, verse 24. A disciple's not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. And I love this verse. And I wonder if it touches your soul this morning. And I wonder if it doesn't just challenge you a little bit to see if this is actually a true statement subjectively for you. He says this, It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Is that true for you today? In the more season that we're in, Christmas, more, 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 more. Is it enough for the disciple to be like his teacher? Is it enough for the servant to be like his master? In the midst of these difficult expectations, is it enough to just hear that? Okay, I, I, I'm willing to go after this because I know it's, it's just being treated the way Jesus was. You think of the way Paul understood his his role and his goal and his mission in life in Philippians chapter 3. Listen, I, I want the sufferings too. I want to have fellowship with Christ in his suffering. Because then I know if I have fellowship with Christ in his suffering, surely I will have fellowship with him in his resurrection. Paul loved and, and, and enjoyed union with Christ so much, fellowship with Christ so much, that he wanted to experience everything that Christ had experienced in this life, to have union with Him in His suffering, to have fellowship with Him in His suffering. For Paul, it was enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and for the servant to be like the master. I wonder if that's the same for us today. He says, if they called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? What an amazing, just, just encouragement. You're of the household of Christ. You're in the fam. Expect to be treated like like the master. Expect to be treated like the master of the house. Because you're of his house. You think about the way Jesus was treated. There already is building opposition in this gospel from the Pharisees, from the religious leaders of the day. We know where Jesus is headed in his passion, in his rejection, in his death, his suffering. His shame. We understand what He endured for us. But yet to follow Him is to embrace the very suffering and experiences, persecution and rejection that He has indeed endured for us. Is that not the book of Acts? As you watch the church grow, don't you see the church endure the same kind of opposition? Isn't all that Jesus laying out for the disciples in this moment and for us just live and endure what I dealt with? He's saying, expect to be treated like me. You have connection to me. They hated me, they're going to hate you. They rejected me, they're going to reject you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Because you have union with me. And you preach a message about me being Lord and Savior. 
going to hate you. They're going to reject you. Expect to be treated just like I was. And if you ever have read the Passion accounts whatsoever, such a hearing of such an expectation would surely bring about within any natural human being fear. That would scare me to think that I'm going to be treated the way that Jesus was treated. Am I the only one? But Jesus says, don't fear three times. Do not fear. Have no fear of them. Do not fear. Fear not, therefore. Three times. When he commands that, he recognizes that as we hear this text, that naturally fear will overtake us. And so he emphasizes that fear not because he wants to address us in the midst of our fears as we hear about these expectations for the mission. Jesus understands what's at stake. And he's telling you, do not fear. Do not fear. And he gives two reasons why we have no need to fear in the face of of being treated the way Jesus was. He says, one, the people that you are prone to be afraid of, there's only so much they can take from you. I want you to hear that. The people you're afraid of, there's only so much they can take from you. They are limited in their scope of making your life miserable. They're limited. There's only so much that this worldly evil opposition to the mission can do to bring about misery in your life, to threaten you. They are limited. They only have so much power and authority. That should encourage us. That should give us a sense of freedom. He says they can only kill your body. They can't kill your soul. Amen? This world can take away very little compared to what they can't take away, the soul. Jesus is saying, don't fear them. They can't take away who you really are. They can't take that away from you. But guess what? God can. So he says, fear God, not man. And I know many of us, including myself, I struggle with the fear of man. I struggle with that. But he's saying, don't fear man. They can't take away your soul. Fear God. Fear God. Only he watches over you and has authority over your soul. Don't fear man. So that's one reason why we don't have to fear because they have such limits. And then last, and I think this is a wonderful thing to just rest in. He says you have no need to fear them because look at this. He says are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. And here we return to something that Jesus had addressed previously in the Sermon on the Mount. That as followers of Jesus, we have this privilege in standing before God 
that we are his children. We are sons of the Heavenly Father and daughters of the Heavenly Father. Amen? That is a privilege and joy that we have because of our relationship with Christ. And because of that, we are sovereignly watched over and cared for always by the Father. That's how we live. Right? If sparrows are are cared for, he's saying. Not one of them even falls to the ground without the sovereign uh, watching over of the Father. And understand this, you're so much more valuable than the sparrows. Many sparrows, as a matter of fact. So you have no need to fear men because what? You are valued and loved and watched over and cared for by the Father that is in heaven. I want you to hear that today. In the midst of all your fears concerning faithfulness to the mission, whatever degree the opposition comes to you, know that you have no reason to fear as you walk in faithfulness because the Father is always watching over you. Maybe say it this way. You may be hated by the world, but you're always loved by the Father. I want you to hear that today. Maybe that's the Christmas gift in this text for us. We're always loved by the Father on our mission. What? Just like Jesus was. Doesn't that bring it all together? Expect to be treated just like Jesus was by the world, and guess what? And by the Father. Expect to be treated just like Jesus was. He was hated by the world. He was rejected and maligned. You're no greater than the master. You're just like him. That's enough for you. And it's enough to know that you're always loved by the Heavenly Father as you walk faithfully on Christ's mission. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I know there's a lot here. I know that we're wrapping up. But I want you to know that it is Christ himself that will shape our expectations for the mission that He's given to us in this world. And really, Christ is basically telling us, without sugarcoating it at all, He's saying and recognizing, the mission's going to be hard. The mission's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. I mean, I don't like things that aren't easy. Right? Doreen always gets on me about that. Like, man, you set out to do this thing and like one little obstacle and it's like, oh, forget it. (laughs) You know, I I wonder if some of you feel like that. Like, listen, I reverse engineered the whole thing. It's like step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, done. But some unknown thing gets in the way and jacks up the whole plan. I want it to be easy. And every time it's hard, I shy away. I have a tendency to shy away from the things that are difficult. And I wonder if you're hearing this, that even your tendency now is to shy away from what is hard. But really, I think the most uh, poignant thing to do right now, as I read this, just feeling overwhelmed by the mission and what we're to expect on that mission in this world It's just to humbly recognize something together as you hear this. I need God. Can we just humbly recognize that we don't have what it takes to be faithful 
to face these expectations? I think this is a call to humility, reliance, and dependence. Again, you go back to the end of chapter 9. What does he say? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Even Jesus sees so much opportunity and very little laborers. And I look at and I hear these expectations and I see so much difficulty and very little ability to deal with it. I wonder if the same response is not pray. Pray and seek the Lord. Seek the Lord for what you need from Him to deal with such obstacle, to deal with such hostility, to deal with these expectations. Because we can easily get scared. We can easily get anxious. We can easily be quiet and silent by a world that wants us to shut our mouths. We can easily fear men and not fear God. That's me. And I wonder if you join me in that. In just feeling overwhelmed and anxious about the expectations laid out for us. And if we don't just together, collectively, corporately, as we hear Christ's call, just say, I need you, God. Lord of the harvest, please give me the grace that I need for the mission. Are you here today? Raise your hand if you need grace for the mission. My hand's up first. I need grace from God to be faithful to the mission. I don't have what it takes in and of myself. But the wonderful news is that Jesus does have what it takes. He's already endured it on our behalf. And he continues to give us his Holy Spirit and all of these blessings as we approach him in prayer. We rely upon him for the wisdom and the innocence that we need. So pray this week. Pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for innocence. Pray for the Spirit to speak through you. Maybe you've been quiet in a particular relationship where you know you're supposed to speak up. Maybe you haven't given a defense. And maybe you say, Spirit of God, give me the words to speak and see what he does. About a month ago, our missional community prayed, Lord, give us opportunities to spend time with people who are far from God. And I think almost all of us, between one Wednesday to the next, had, an, uh, had a story to share. Imagine if you just asked God for the words to speak as you engage family in whatever way that you're able this uh, Christmas season. Maybe the Lord's going to give you the words to speak, but you've got to ask Him. Seek Him. Rely on Him. Pray for boldness. You think about Acts chapter 4, right? Where, the, where the, the apostles and the disciples and really the church are brought before the Sanhedrin. Just like Jesus. What did they pray for? Give us boldness. We need your boldness. We don't have it. Pray for the Father's protection. Pray for joy in your obedience. And I think in many ways... We should be praying that this mission brings about fruit. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that this is how Jesus brings about fruit in the harvest. Right? As hard as it is, it's how the harvest is wrought. Right? It's, I know it says hated by all. But that's not every single person. That's all kinds of people. No, the fruit, there will be fruit. 
there will be conversion. The Spirit will draw men, women, and children to faith in Jesus Christ. And we will see, and I'm really just teasing out next week, that this is all worth it. What we face is all worth it. Ethan, next week as he preaches the last verses of this chapter, will show us why we can say that. Why we can say, pursuing the mission, embracing these difficult expectations, they're all worth it in the end. They're all worth it. But for today, we see that really, Christian mission is a journey down the path of most resistance. That's what it is. It's a journey down the path of most resistance. Christ has gone before us. Christ goes with us. And today, he shapes our expectations for what the mission that he's given us will be like. Let's seek the Lord together in prayer. Father, these words are heavy for us to hear. And in some ways, it might feel untimely five days before Christmas to think about these heavy things that can be scary and overwhelming. And yet we understand that it was Christmas in which you began your journey. Yes, it started in glory and yet such humility but it led to such rejection, hostility. You were dragged before the courts. You were condemned, criminalized, thrown on a cross, and there you died for us. Even Christmas, we're reminded why you were born into the world, that you might die for us in our sins. And yet we also know that all of that was worth it because you paid the penalty, you absorbed the wrath, and you rose again from the dead on the third day. And you reigned victorious over all. We praise you for that. And I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that does not know you, that they would come to faith in Christ for all that he is and all that he's done pray that if there's anybody here today that's been scared or uh, just overwhelmed by the mission or anxious by what to say, I pray even now that the Spirit of God would empower them for the mission that you've called them to and the lives that you've placed them. Lord God, we need you today. Fill us, use us, send us, and help us to reap for you a harvest of souls. To you be the glory, and all God's people said, amen. Let's sing together. Please stand as we sing.